The Lymphoma Voices podcast brings you a series of conversations around topics of interest for people affected by lymphoma, the fifth most common cancer in the UK. Hello, my name's Anne Hook, and I'm Publications Manager at Lymphoma Action. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Professor George Mikhail, who's a Professor of Radiation Oncology at King's College London and Consultant Clinical Oncologist at Guy's Cancer Centre, which is part of Guy's and St Thomas's NHS Foundation Trust. George is also the chair of the UK Lymphoma Radiotherapy Group and has a special interest on the treatment of lymphoma with radiotherapy. Welcome, George. Hi, Anne. Pleased to be here. George, can we start really by you telling us a little bit about your role? Of course. So I'm a clinical oncologist and clinical oncologists are specialists who train in using chemotherapy and radiotherapy for the treatment of cancer. So I work as a part of a larger lymphoma team, uh, which also includes many other specialists. And uh, we meet uh, on a regular basis, discuss our patients and the best treatment for them. We see them in clinic. My role in radiotherapy in particular involves making the decision, counseling patients, planning the treatment, which simply determining which area to treat and the dose and the length of the course, and then looking after patients during treatment until they finish. And that's all part, again, of a very specialist big team. Can we now move on to radiotherapy and ask you, what does radiotherapy do and how does it treat cancer? And I suppose specifically lymphoma. So it's simply using ionizing radiation uh, to treat cancer. And it's actually, uh, uh, apart from surgery, it's one of the oldest uh, methods used to treat cancer. Uh, came some five decades or so before chemotherapy even. Essentially, it is a way of directing an x-ray beam in a very targeted way to the cancer and trying to kill the cancer without causing many problems around. And the way we do that really is in a very simple way to explain, relies on two things. There is a, a biological difference and a dose difference. So we try and focus the radiation uh, dose on the cancer and uh, deliver a very minimal dose around. That's the targeting part, and that's technological, and it keeps improving all the time. The biological side is that the cancer cells uh, have limited capacity of repair compared to normal cells, and by then giving the course of treatment over a number of treatments, not in one go, we allow the normal cells to repair some of the effects of radiation, while cancer cells do not. So that difference in the ability to repair radiation effects make a big difference, again, in killing cancer and spurring normal tissues. Can I ask what the difference is between chemotherapy and radiotherapy in terms of treating lymphoma? And why may they be used together in treatment or one used over the other? Sure, that's a very good question. Thank you. So let me explain three facts about radiotherapy, and then we'll talk about the choice of uh, the treatments. Radiotherapy is a local treatment, so it works only in the, on the area that it's targeting. Uh, chemotherapy is a systemic treatment. It's given uh, largely through the veins, into the blood, or sometimes orally, but it spreads uh, and it goes everywhere in the body. So that's one difference between the two treatments. In terms of radiotherapy, again, it is a targeted treatment to a specific area, 
but also it has the ability to work on cancer even if that cancer is resistant to chemotherapy. So they are independent in some ways and therefore adding them sometimes is useful because if some cells escape the effect of chemotherapy, radiotherapy can take care of that. The last thing to explain about it as well is that lymphoma in particular is sensitive to radiotherapy and the doses required for lymphoma are typically half or less than half of the doses required for other cancers. So that makes its use very rewarding. So why do we choose certain treatments for certain cases? That depends very much on the type of lymphoma and the extent of it. So for example, if we're treating a lymphoma that presents as a localized area, and it's a type that doesn't tend to spread very often, then one treatment could be either radiotherapy alone or sometimes a short course of chemotherapy followed by radiotherapy. If we are faced with a lymphoma that's everywhere in many, many areas, radiotherapy obviously is not suitable and chemotherapy is the main treatment. However, in those cases, sometimes radiotherapy is required later on for an area that failed to respond to chemotherapy. So radiotherapy can then be added to control this area or can be added to consolidate the effect of a high-risk area. So even though there, there are many areas, but one area in particular is perceived, for example, because it was a large mass, to be a high risk for relapse, you can add radiotherapy in this situation to reduce the risk of relapse in this site. And that's how we decide on that. It's really a matter of type of lymphoma and extent of it, so we choose what works best. I mean, you've explained it very well, that it actually it has to be localised, otherwise you haven't really got anything to target at. Is that Have I got that correct, George? Yes, you can use a certain widespread treatments, um, but these are very special conditions, just to, uh, to sidetrack a little bit and explain a couple of conditions. So some lymphomas affect the skin in particular. We call mm. them cutaneous lymphomas, but that then is the skin all over the body. And in those cases, there's a special radiotherapy treatment called total skin electron beam. And that literally irradiates the total skin, the whole mm. body skin. That's delivered in, in specialist centers, but that's an example of systemic radiotherapy. Another ex example is what we call TBI, which is total body irradiation, typically used as part of a transplant program. And that's in situations where you would like to, again, use the radiotherapy to ablate the bone marrow all over the body uh, and again, that's a whole body treatment. So these are exceptions. Apart from that, you are absolutely right. It's just localized treatment. So you have to have a reasonable size area to irradiate. And the way it's considered is at the beginning of, uh, at the time of diagnosis, all cases in the UK, at least, are discussed in a multidisciplinary team meeting. And we look at the details of the case, decide what's the best treatment. Mm -hmm. And we consider radiotherapy at the beginning. Mm. But there are situations where radiotherapy may be added. It wasn't planned, but because of the way the disease responded or the patient reacted to treatment, we then consider radiotherapy at a later point. Yeah. Again, we, we get uh, calls to the helpline where they say radiotherapy wasn't part of um, my planned treatment, but they're going to use it for belt and braces approach or to mop up. Does that 
sound familiar to you? No, it does. So, so I'll, I'll give two examples that might help. So sometimes the radiotherapy is planned but hasn't been mentioned to the patients uh, at the outset. And in an ideal world, it's actually better to tell the patient about the whole plan of treatment. Some treatment plans include uh, the possibility of radiotherapy in certain situations. For example, you say the main treatment is chemotherapy, but mm-hmm. if this or that happens during the treatment, we will add radiotherapy. Or if we do a PET scan mm-hmm. and it shows that or this, we will add radiotherapy. So those cases, ideally, again, sometimes the patients are a little overwhelmed with details at the outset, but ideally they are told about that possibility coming uh, because it's better than coming as a surprise later in the course of the treatment. Having said that, sometimes the plan is not to include radiotherapy at all, but because chemotherapy cannot be continued, it is uh, too strong, or it hasn't worked very well, then you change the plan and add radiotherapy or change it completely to radiotherapy. Mm. So these are inevitable. It, it, It just happens. I was going to ask you, in what situations radiotherapy may be an an option and why some people are offered it and others are not? Yes, that's a very good question. And it's certainly important to understand that one. So in some situations, the prognosis of treatment is very good. The lymphoma has a very good prognosis and many, many treatments can achieve cure. So the choice really is based, the choice of treatments is based on what is the best combination of treatments that will achieve a high cure, but also uh, achieve the the least amount side effects. And in some uh, programs, uh, the main treatment would be considered as chemotherapy and uh, radiotherapy adds a little bit of benefit in reducing the chance of relapse. So there is a proven benefit for it in that situation. But the question is, is that benefit safe or does it carry along with it certain late effects? And that depends on the age, the uh, uh, sex of the patient and the the site of disease. So it's very individual. It, It has to be tailored to the individual case. So in those cases where the benefit exceeds the potential side effects, radiotherapy would be, would be added and advised. In other situations where the side effects might be high and higher than that small reduction in relapse, then you advise against it. I wondered whether there are people who can't have radiotherapy, people who've got pacemakers, maybe if you've got a heart condition. Are there certain groups of people who aren't able to have radiotherapy? Mm. Yeah, so the, the those you mentioned are relative contraindications, but not absolute. Usually the absolute contraindication is if one area was treated to a high dose in the past, sometimes mm-hmm. for a different cancer, and uh, adding treatments will, will cause damage. But let's uh, take pregnancy. We certainly do not want to irradiate someone who could be pregnant, mm-hmm. uh, and we test for pregnancy before starting radiotherapy if uh, patients are not, are not sure. However, there are very rare situations, and I repeat, very, very rare, where we needed to irradiate patients during pregnancy. Often when the area to be treated is away from the uh, abdomen and the pelvis. Um, So it's not a complete contraindication. It is, by and large, a contraindication, but in exceptional circumstances, you, you could do that. 
Pacemakers and cardiac rhythm devices are not contraindication nowadays. We can avoid them with our treatment. And uh, the, the newer ones are actually a lot more stable during radiotherapy. So we have a protocol where we work closely with the cardiologists to offer closer monitoring of the devices, but that's not a, a reason to uh, not to use radiotherapy if required. There are sometimes situations where there is a, an underlying problem, a medical problem, that would mean that radiation will carry more than the usual risk uh, for the individual. Uh, that could be a heart condition, someone with heart failure, and the mm. treatment will involve some dose to the heart. Mm. In those situations, simply the underlying condition means that we should avoid any additional effects on the heart if, if the person is in heart failure, or similarly, kidneys or other things. So it's a very individualized decision based mm. on the risk for the individual. Mm. And, you know, things like chemotherapy get delayed because of infections, for example. Is that so if you are having radiotherapy, would you hold off giving radiotherapy if somebody's got an infection, for example? Yes, that's a good question. And it, it raises another point as well. So it, generally speaking, yes, we'd like to see patients who, uh, you know, having treatment or would like to treat patients when they're feeling relatively well. Mm. Um, but sometimes a mild infection away from the treatment site, so say we're treating the neck or the mid chest and someone has got a mild urinary tract infection and it's responding to antibiotics, we wouldn't mm. delay treatment for that. They can continue the antibiotic treatment while mm. they're having radiotherapy. A similar question about this is, does radiotherapy cause increased risk of infections uh, in a similar way to chemotherapy? It doesn't. It doesn't have the same effect on white cell count and neutrophil count, and it doesn't carry the risk of bacterial infections. So it's not as immunosuppressive, if you like, as uh, chemotherapy. And what happened during the COVID pandemic, for example, is in many situations where chemotherapy and radiotherapy are alternatives. We sometimes preferred radiotherapy mm. for the immunosuppressive risk of chemotherapy. Can we now move on to the sort of practicalities of having radiotherapy and look at what doses typically are and the length of um, time people are likely to be having radiotherapy? Sure. So that depends on the lymphoma type and the site of it and the extent of disease and also the aim of treatment. Generally, um, lymphoma needs much less dose of radiation compared to solid tumors. Just to give a, a ballpark figure, a guide, usually half of the dose or less than half of the dose required for other cancers, say breast cancer or lung cancer. But the dose is dependent also on the other factors I, I mentioned. So it could vary anywhere from actually one or two treatments to uh, the longer courses we use about five weeks of treatment and when it's five weeks it's actually treating five days a week Monday to Friday so that's like 25 treatments um, uh, over a five-week period. Typically for most of the cases we treat like Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin lymphoma we use somewhere between two and three weeks uh, course but there are situations where one or two treatments are more than enough. How can you measure how successful your treatment is proving to be? A radiotherapy course is typically pre-planned. So when you plan the treatment, you actually have a dose in mind and you have a number of treatments in mind and you calculate the doses based on this plan. So for example, one would say, or one of the common ones is 30 gray in 15 treatments. So the, the treatment would be calculated on the basis of two gray daily 
times 15, the total dose is 30. So we then do not change things as we go through treatment. It's delivered as planned. There are the exceptional circumstances where we need to change plans for various reasons. And what I don't want anyone listening to this to worry too much about uh, if the plans change, but, the, but there are exceptional circumstances. For example, if someone had a, a very good response, we're treating a, a big mass and they had a very good response to treatment and the geometry, the anatomy has changed. So the mm. calculated doses will not be accurate if a mass started as 10 centimeters and halfway through the course is now five centimeters. We have to recalculate things, and very often it involves actually replanning, which means another scan and another calculations, and then changing the treatment slightly. Uh, so that's a good one because it's a result of a response. Uh, sometimes plans also do change uh, because certain patients will have particularly uh, high level of side effects from a standard dose of treatment. So we decide to use slightly less dose in those circumstances. So the general rule is the treatment is all planned and mapped out before we start, but there are exceptional circumstances where we might change it during uh, the course. Uh, how do we know if it's working well? So that depends on what we're treating. So let's take a few examples. If we're treating a big mass, and if this mass is visible, we will mm -hmm. all be, the, the patient having a treatment and the treatment team will all be able to assess actually that it is shrinking, uh, getting smaller. Uh, that's an easy one. If it is hidden inside, very often we wait for a while and then repeat a scan to look at what happened to this mass. But that's not the only uh, indication for treatment. Very often we treat people after successful course of chemotherapy and there isn't actually much to see. We're treating the uh, lymph node chain where the lymphoma was affecting. Mm. And in those cases, there isn't anything to monitor. The success of the treatment then would be judged by the lack of relapse during follow-up. So the, it was given for the purpose of preventing relapse. So if people go on for years without a relapse, you know that the treatment has worked. Mm. So sometimes it's given in that sense. You mentioned gray, and I, can you explain to us what gray means? Sure. So gray is a unit of uh, measuring radiation. And uh, the name gray itself is a scientist's name, uh, but gray is essentially the dose of absorbed radiation in the tissue. You can measure radiation in many different ways, but what we are interested in, how much of it is absorbed in a certain tissue. And that's the unit we use internationally for expressing uh, radiation dose. Sometimes people may see uh, what's called centigrade, abbreviated as CGY instead of GY, and that's essentially uh, one hundredth of a gray. So a gray equals one hundredth centigrade. Thank you. And thank you for your explanation as well about changes during treatment. That was really, really helpful. And some time ago, I was fortunate enough to actually come in, into uh, the hospital where they were planning a radiotherapy treatment and they got physicists working on it to so accurately design where the the rays are targeted and mm. I guess it's very reassuring to patients to know that it's actually being targeted at such a very specific area. I wondered if there are any considerations individuals might need to make when they're thinking about whether to have radiotherapy or not. Are there things that you think people should bear in mind before they make the decision? 
the team should normally explain to patients uh, three things. They should explain to them uh, why the treatment is uh, being advised, so what the benefit is and uh, what the success rate is. Uh, they also need to explain to them the procedure, so the process of planning treatment and having treatment and, uh, and so on. And then thirdly, how they would feel during treatment and what advice and care uh, they should be aware of, both short term and also long term. Mm. Um, so these are the useful things to make sure that uh, someone knows before they go through radiotherapy. And can radiotherapy harm other parts of the body than those being targeted? That's a very good question and actually very important to clarify that. It's not even uh, sometimes even clear in the medical profession. So it's, it's, it's important to clarify it. So radiotherapy, as we said, is a local treatment. One of the problems is that sometimes when you check any information, whether it's a booklet or online and so on, it includes a huge list of side effects, which is the potential side effects of radiotherapy to all parts of the body. The side effects that every individual uh, having treatment will feel are really related to the area treated. If you look at the list, you will find, for example, the possibility of diarrhea. But if I'm having my head and neck treated, I will not get diarrhea. It's only if I have the lower abdomen and the pelvis. Equally, if I'm having the pelvis treated, I will not get difficulty or soreness on swallowing. Mm. That will only be possible if I am getting the area where the esophagus is. So it's very important to realize that because it, that can take immediately can take away a lot of anxiety about actually all sorts of things being due to radiotherapy when it's very, very away from the area. The only systemic effect of radiotherapy perhaps is feeling tired. Apart from that, all the side effects should be in within the area and dependent on the area treated. And that's why the in the consent process, when we explain things to patients, uh, we explain it uh, very individually. So in this particular situation, we would not be causing this. The treatment might cause that and so on. Mm. And that's true of side effects while you're having it. And I understand it can be quite cumulative. You've spoken about fatigue. And from what I can gather, people start the process and think, oh, this isn't too bad. But then it, yes. it is cumulative and people explain to us, and you're nodding, so I'd be interested yes. to hear if you think you agree. It gets worse and worse and people get more and more fatigued. Yes. Um, is that your experience from what people have told you as well, George? Yes, absolutely. And uh, it is, it's important to remember that because I think a lot of patients will have had chemotherapy before radiotherapy and it's a very different time scale to things. The chemotherapy simply given as one shot uh, or sometimes uh, several days, but very often just one day. And mm -hmm. then people are most uh, affected in the first few days. And then as time passes, they get better mm -hmm. before the next uh, treatment. And that's the opposite time scale to radiotherapy. Radiotherapy starts when you're feeling absolutely fine. And most people actually feel well in the first week or two. And most side effects start towards the end of the second week, maybe beginning of third week, and they increase gradually. The, the, the maximum level is experienced at the end of the course or the few days after the end of the course. Mm. So it's, it's important to actually uh, explain to uh, uh, our patients as well 
that this is the time scale and yet the first one or two weeks they would probably feel very little difference mm. but then it will build up gradually towards the end but again on the in terms of the short-term side effects particularly with lymphoma doses most of them recover within a couple of weeks after treatment fatigue takes a bit longer some other things like say change in taste for example can take a little longer mm. her loss takes a little longer but her loss doesn't happen unless we treat the head I wanted to talk about some of the practicalities and planning. I know we've already touched on this, but um, mm. a lot of people who are having radiotherapy to the head and neck area have a mask made. Can you just explain that? Because some people are a bit worried about that. So you might be able to reassure us. Sure. Yes. So the, the radiotherapy process, uh, it's sometimes easy to think of it as actually, if you like, three steps. So the first appointment, people will actually meet the, uh, the doctor. That is actually as a, a medical assessment and also explanation of the treatment and consent, agreeing to have it. So mm. it's not going to be any radiation at all in the patient's first visit. Mm. Uh, this is a medical consultation. It is the opportunity to understand the treatment well and ask all the questions so people can make an informed decision. The next step is a planning process. This is where the mask will come in. And the planning process is, again, not treatment. The third step would be the, the treatment. The planning process often is a separate appointment. And the purpose of that is actually plan everything that will be implemented throughout the treatment. So during treatments, we're just implementing a plan that we we finalized before. So the three important steps in the planning, um, two of them involve the patient directly. One is to uh, decide in the position that the patient will have the treatment in and ensure that this position is reproducible every day to the accuracy of a millimeter. So that's quite a, an important step because we don't want to struggle every day with a position and be treating a different area or not able to reproduce things. The second step involves the scan of the area to be treated in the position that we decided we will treat in. And then the third step of the planning is all calculations and the patients do not see that. It's all in the mm. background. So in that visit, the, it's not just the scan. It is positioning and making sure that this position can be reproduced every day. And we use lots of devices. So mask is only one of them. So for, for various parts of the body, we use various devices. So we sometimes use things uh, like a board for the patient to lie on, things to hold uh, with their hands, knee rest, ankle support, all sorts of things, depending on which part of the body. The head and neck area in particular is slightly problematic because it's very, very mobile. And to make sure that we are treating the same area every day, the only way to be absolutely sure is to actually fit a plastic mask around the head and neck area. It actually serves two purposes, not just what we call immobilization, keeping it mm. the same place. So it, it serves that purpose, that it will be the same position every day, no change. The other purpose is, we will not need then to put any marks on the face or the neck because we can put marks in on hidden parts of the body, but not so much on the head and neck. We don't like that and patients wouldn't like it. The mask is done individually and is used only by the individual having the treatment. So every patient has their own mask. It carries their name. It's made specifically for them. 
The other thing to say about it is people can breathe. It's not like it's completely closed. They can breathe. In some situations, we can also do an opening opposite the eye, depending on which part, and they can actually see. But in some other situations, we prefer to have the eyes uh, shut. So the mask is a process where an impression is taken of the face and a mask is made. And if it's not comfortable, and sometimes we find that it's slightly tight, we just repeat it. If you're not comfortable in the mask, uh, speak to the team, they will notice that anyway. And we sometimes have to repeat the mask to make it more comfortable. Now, having said all of that, the vast majority of our patients find it easier than what they imagined. And what's the time scale typically from having your discussion and, and measurements and so on to actually being able to start the radiotherapy? Is, is there quite a delay to create these pieces of equipment? Very good question again. So the, the largest or the longest period is required for the calculations and the planning. So normally we see someone in clinic. Obviously, we go through phases where sometimes there are, it's a busy period or there are certain things affecting the capacity. But assuming normal capacity, usually they are invited to come back for the planning session within a week, probably up to 10 days uh, after mm. the consultation. In this planning session, if they need a mask, it's made. If they need anything else for positioning, it's provided. And then mm. they have the scan. It typically has, a, it is a long visit. They meet a radiographer first who will sit with them to, to go through the procedure, explain everything, and then they start the process and then end up with the scan. Typically, again, when they leave the department, they are given a list of appointments for the whole treatment. So what we work out is uh, for the specific case, we uh, might say we need some 10 days to do the calculations and be happy with, uh, with the plan. So we plan the treatment to start within that period or after that period and mm. book all the appointments. So they get a list of the daily appointments for the whole course. So they can plan their life around it. And we ask patients to tell us if they prefer to avoid uh, if someone has childcare issues or uh, any sort of uh, issue that we need to be aware of, we accommodate that. We book them into an appointment slot that would suit them. George, can I ask you what it feels like to have radiotherapy? Is it uncomfortable? Does it hurt? Thank you. No, it doesn't. It's um, exactly like having a scan done. So actually the, uh, the person having radiotherapy doesn't feel any different at all, whether the machine is on or off but the treatment itself doesn't hurt. The question we get is, will I be radioactive after I've had my radiotherapy? Very common question, no. With the treatment delivered for lymphoma, which is mainly on a machine, people are not radioactive. Very often patients have had PET scans and they had been given the advice about radioactivity injected with a PET scan. That's mm. not the same. We do not use any radioactive material and the machine doesn't make them radioactive. The x-rays does not leave the room. Mm. So they are not radioactive. They can mix with young children. They can make, mix with pregnant women. There's no problem at all. Next question really is, if people come to the end of their treatment, is it a scan that's going to tell you how effective that treatment's been? And is that carried out through radiotherapy? Or is it a case that at the end of their treatment, they're referred back to their healthcare team, which is likely to be haematology? 
Yes, okay. So, so the scan will be relevant if we, we've treated something that we want to see the result of. If the treatment was given as a consolidation after successful chemotherapy, as in many cases of, say, early Hodgkin lymphoma, for example, there is no requirement to do a scan. Uh, very often, in fact, they had a little bit of chemotherapy, they had a scan and it showed good response, and we just added radiotherapy for consolidation to reduce the relapse. So in those cases, no further scan is required. But if we're treating active disease, then yes, a scan would be normally done uh, after treatment. Where and who will arrange the scan depends on the local setup, pretty much. But the team will, will make it clear what will happen next. So in our own practice, we would take responsibility for organizing the scan ourselves, the radiotherapy team, I mean, uh, after a course of radiotherapy. But in many other places, that's not possible. So it, it, it varies. And in all cases, that someone would know that this is what they need to do after that course. You've talked about how sometimes tumours break down. And if somebody's, they've had their treatment and they're in a lot of pain with that tumour breakdown, is it the radiotherapy team they should get in contact or their haematologist? Oh, sure. That's a very good question again. So I would just say three things here. Uh, they are attending daily and the treating uh, team, the therapy radiographers, will be asking them about how they feel. And if they have a problem, they will get someone to see them. So uh, I would just reassure them that they are being asked on daily basis on how they feel. Secondly, uh, typically, already therapy departments will have a weekly review outside the treatment itself. This is a clinic appointment, a consultation. In some places by the doctors, in some other places by a nurse, in some other places by a, a trained radiographer. Mm. There will be a healthcare professional reviewing them on a weekly basis to assess the side effects, advice on them. Mm. If something happens, say, while I'm at home after I left the hospital and it is thought to be related to side effects from radiotherapy, they ring the radiotherapy department again. So that's the responsibility of the radiotherapy team. No, that's reassuring. And there's some special precautions people should take after radiotherapy. I hear this, that you have to be very careful with sun safety, for example. Yes, so that, it, that depends on the uh, specific area of the body and the course. So the sun rays, particularly a lot of it, increases the skin reaction to radiation. And a radiation skin reaction is in some ways similar to exposure to the sun for a while. So the team treating the patient should know actually what dose the skin will be getting and will give a specific advice. I know it's a general advice on many websites and, and so on um, that actually you should avoid the sun. But sometimes the, the skin is not receiving too much dose and there's no special precaution that one has to take. Uh, apart from the, the usual uh, precautions about sun exposure that everyone has to follow. Mm. And the best mm. thing is actually to ask the, the treating team. Normally what we do is actually, it's, it's one of the first things we discuss with patients actually is to tell them about skincare. What do we expect? Also, if the treatment is likely to affect the swallowing, for example, we advise them on diet. Uh, if it's likely to affect the bowel function, uh, similar advice on diets and what to do uh, is given as well. So because we counsel them before treatment mm -hmm. about potential side effects, we also counsel them about certain care issues 
like skincare, diet, uh, what food to eat, and so on. If lymphoma relapses and you mm. had radiotherapy in your first course of treatment, mm. can you have radiotherapy again? Depends on the individual case. So it's case by case basis and ideally should be decided by a clinical oncologist or radiation oncologist, ideally based on reviewing the previous treatment given in detail. And, and the reason for that is, depending on the site we're talking about, I could know that someone received 30 gray again, the, the, the dose, mm -hmm. to one area. But what's really important is to, to see the actual plan of treatment and look at the sensitive organs around the target and see how much dose they received. So it's not so much about the dose that received by the lymphoma previously, it's about the dose received by normal organs previously. And then we know the sensitivity of normal organs. We know what maximum we can go up to. If an organ can go up to 50 gray and they received 30 gray in the past, then I can give another 20 gray mm. and, and so on. So it, 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 it is possible in certain situations, but based on review of the previous treatment. At the beginning, you explained that radiotherapy has been around a lot longer than chemotherapy. And I wondered if you could tell me whether it's changed a lot over that time or whether radiotherapy has pretty much stayed as it was way back. Well, that's my favourite question. Thank you. <laughs> um, because it's really important to realise that uh, radiotherapy used nowadays is different from 20, 30 years ago, different from 70, 80 years ago. Two things happened over time in the use of uh, radiotherapy for lymphoma. The way we use it, and also the technology of delivering radiotherapy itself. So the way we use it, when radiotherapy was introduced, it was pretty much before the days of chemotherapy and it was the only treatment to be given. And uh, the technology was also quite simple in those days. So it used to be treating a very wide area of the body, even if the area of lymphoma is small. Typically, they used to treat half of the body upper half or lower half. And they used higher doses of radiation and they also used simple techniques that did not really target the lymphoma, but any tissue in that part of the body received the full dose. Nowadays, all three things have changed. So we treat only the area that was affected by lymphoma in a very targeted way. We use much less doses based on studies that helped us understand what doses required for specific situations. And also we target the treatment in a, in a very advanced way. So the tissues around the target receive much less dose than the target of the treatment itself. So these are the changes that happen over time. We, you know, smaller doses, smaller area and targeted delivery. But on the radiotherapy side, the technology has also changed completely. So in the old days, uh, we didn't have uh, three-dimensional imaging. In mm. the old days, we didn't have computers. So in the old days, the only way to plan radiotherapy was to look at a plain X-ray, which is two-dimensional and very, very simple. Nowadays, all the radiotherapy treatments, even palliative treatments, even short ones, are planned with a CT scan in a three-dimensional way. And we have diagnostic PET scans that we look at as well and so on. So you can then decide where exactly the lymphoma is untargeted in a very accurate way. So that's the imaging uh, effect. 
in addition to that, uh, computers are now used to calculate doses. In the old days, they did actually simple calculations by hand. Yeah. Nowadays, it's all computerized because we need to deliver complex plans. And the delivery machines, the machines that deliver treatments, are also computerized. So just to give an example, in the old days, the, the head of the machine just delivered a beam of radiation that was not really modified in any way. Nowadays, the output of the machine is variable in various parts of the treatment. So it changes with time. You can increase it, it can slow down. We deliver treatment very often through an arc and uh, from any angle on that arc, the dose could be different to deliver different doses to different points within the body. And the, the whole thing is computerized and calculated by computer. So you then are able to wrap the uh, target within the specific dose and reduce the doses to the surrounding structures significantly to a level that keeps them safe. So because of that technological ability, we are now able to deliver more accurate treatments and also cause less side effects. So it has changed significantly. It certainly has. Mm. I've got two more questions I'd very much like to ask you. Mm. Um, and the first one is, what motivates you to do your job? <laughs> two things. Patient care is really very rewarding. And the second thing is the continuous development and advances we have in our particular speciality. I think really at the end of the day, uh, what makes me feel I've done a good job is if I felt I looked well after a patient, they understand fully what treatment they're going through. They uh, felt that everything possible to treat them well and cure them and get rid of the uh, side effects as well or control it have been done. So they feel that they had the best care. That's rewarding. The second thing is that we are not sitting and repeating what we've done five years ago, 10 years ago. We are always moving forward. We're always developing things. Uh, and that's exciting. Mm. My second question is if there was a message you could give to people with lymphoma, what would it be? Well, lymphoma is a very mixed list of diseases. It's not uh, one disease. And it is one of the highly curable cancers uh, in humans. And it is always developing. So my message is keep positive, listen to your team, see what the options are, and don't fear the side effects of treatment because we are very, very careful in delivering treatments. Mm -hmm. And we would consider things very, very carefully and only advise treatments that we, we believe have benefit exceeding the side effects. Mm. Professor George Mikhail, thank you for such a fascinating conversation. I really found it enlightening. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. For more information about lymphoma and the support we can offer to people affected by the condition, please visit the Lymphoma Action website at www.lymphoma-action.org.uk. Lymphoma Action, inform, support, connect.